This episode of the Brunch and Slay podcast was brought to you by the Brand Launch Society. Confidence contributes immensely to the performance of every business. Join the Brand Launch Society today. Welcome to the Brunch and Slay podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration. Well, we remember that if she can, I can, we all can. I'm your host, Amira Sane, founder of Brunch and Slay, a lifestyle brand created to inspire women to live their best life every day. It's Amira. I'm so happy to be back with you. It's been a great few weeks. The spring is here and I am feeling all the beautiful energy, loving the sunshine, and so happy that the rain has finally gone away. Uh, I want to say a special thank you to all you guys who have been writing your reviews, who've been sharing the podcast, who have been logging on to patreon.com forward slash brunch and slay and showing your love and supporting brunch and slay. You guys never cease to amaze me. I could not do this without you. You really, truly have, especially lately, have been the wind beneath my wings. And I just want to say thank you humbly. And I am full of gratitude. Today's story is a beautiful one. It's a a woman who has truly overcome supreme odds. She is an inspiration warrior, a change agent. She's been featured everywhere from Essence to Huffington Post. And she has a story I think that a lot of us can relate to. I know I certainly can. Um, Upon meeting her, she definitely, even sharing just a smidge of her story, reminded me a lot of my family history. So uh, I definitely want you guys to support and listen up closely to Miss Dorinda Walker. Hello, Dorinda. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be part of the podcast. Oh, you just totally made my week. So yes, we're going to dive in. Now, your story uh, and your journey is one like a lot of folks and it's something that we just don't talk about a lot. Exactly. And, you know, the impetus behind me sharing my story, because I was one of those people who wouldn't talk about it. Um, but once I opened up and shared it with one person, they said, you know, you should write a book because your story will help so many people. And when I started opening it up and sharing and sharing, I found that it was really therapeutic for me because I was able to let go of the shame and the baggage that was associated with my past and allow others to have dialogue and healing from my story. And I'm just really excited about the book and the impact that I'm having um, when sharing my story. Yes. Now, I know the book will be out very soon. As a matter of fact, it, you know, by, when we release this, it'll be out. So without giving away the book, can you just do us all a favor and tell them a little bit about as much as you can to share your story so that they get what I'm saying? Sure. So um, my parents were good people who made bad choices. And because of those choices, they became addicted to heroin and suffered from the ad- disease of addiction. And as a result, I suffered the consequences of that addiction. So my dad ended up going to jail for murder when I was really young. My mom ended up uh, going to rehab and falling in love with a gentleman she met in rehab who turned out to be abusive and he physically and mentally abused both of us for years. And I went from being a straight A honor roll student to an at-risk youth. 
And when my dad came home, I was freed from the abuse, only to find out that he um, was dying from AIDS. And I ended up dropping out of high school. I began, I began distributing drugs and living a dangerous street life. And I was definitely headed on a path to prison or death. And then when my dad died, um, my mom disappeared and I became severely depressed and uh, attempted suicide at the age of 17, spent six weeks in a psych ward. And long story short, God sent people, places, opportunities in my life to change the trajectory. And now today, I'm a happily married wife. I have three beautiful children, one granddaughter. I'm a successful corporate executive who created her own job in a Fortune 50 company on a GED education. And that's only God's grace and glory. Um, I was named one of the network journals, um, most inf 25 most influential black women last year. Uh, Forbes.com noted me as one of the top black um, leaders and speakers in the country. And I received a, awards for my, my work on, in multicultural marketing. And I'm just blessed. So to go from where I started to where I am now is just a testament on the power of faith, love, forgiveness. And forgiveness is a process, which I talk about in the book. And putting in the work with fortitude to change my circumstances so that I didn't have to wear that label of victim. Um, I could go on and not only survive, but overcome to be successful. Man, I mean, wow, that's a lot. And I didn't even know, I mean, obviously I didn't. I cannot wait to get my hands on the book, first of all. I, I definitely would be pre-ordering it, waiting for it to arrive. Um, I, like I told Dorinda earlier, I think I know it's important that she's brave enough to share her story. I know that someone listening today is a person who is a victim of abuse, a person who may have had parents who suffered from addiction. I myself am one. I don't know if I've ever publicly talked about it, but you know, that's something that we just don't talk about and we just brush right over it. And it's something, I don't know why it's so much shame when you're not even the person who is the user, but it's almost like you're just judged. Well, it's not almost, you are judged. And then you want to protect that parent. Um, yeah. You want to protect them. You do not want, you know, people to think ill of you. And I just think it's, it's a great thing. And you're starting a conversation and I, I commend you tremendously. And I, I want to know more about, you know, how does this 17 year old girl who's feeling that suicide is the only way out uh, without giving away your book, how do you pivot to even get to the point to where you, you wind up on the trajectory of a fortune 50 company? How does that even, what, I know it's a long road, but how does that mindset even change? It really takes having the courage to change your circumstances. A lot of times we fall victim to our environment um, and we don't do what we need to do to change our, the company we keep and take ourselves out of the environment um, that's causing us so much negativity and harm. And really, you know, conflicting with the inner peace that we deserve to have. And a large part of it is finding your, my, my faith. Because, you know, when I was growing up, my parents weren't religious. I didn't go to church. Um, they never had, you know, dialogue with me about faith or 
spirituality or God even. So understanding that there was a higher power who believed in me, who loved me, and who could see me through was critical to me making decisions and putting my faith over my fear to walk through the doors of unknown. You know, I know a lot of, you know, youth that grow up in the hood who they become complacent with their environment. Um, So they don't, they don't do what they need to do to get out. And yeah, so I think, you know, not being complacent, putting in the work, asking for help and really finding my faith is what got me through. How did you find your faith? Did someone lead you to it or was it one of those grand acts of God? Oh, it was a grand act of God, and you will read about it in a book, but it was yeah. a real grand act of God. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I can just imagine. And I know that the complacency, and I know a lot of times, it, and it's not always the hood, you know, addiction does not discriminate. Yeah. It does not discriminate, and you never have a clue. I, I grew up in suburban America, and I had friends whose parents struggled with addiction behind closed doors, and only we knew about it. You know, we would talk about it because that was a commonality now. Um, And I have friends who lost parents um, from addiction who grew up in that same atmosphere. I think that the sickness is that we don't speak about it and everyone thinks that they're alone. Exactly. Um, And by no means did I grow up poor. I mean, I come from a working middle class family. On my father's side of the family, there are a lot of gangsters and you know, people who were in that street life, but there were also, you know, I had aunts and uncles who used heroin every day, went to work, owned homes, and lived a normal life. You would never know that when they came home, they had to use heroin to survive. Yeah. Yeah. My mom always, we had, um, she'd always, she was very transparent with us because of the dynamic, not, she wasn't the user, but she'd always talk to us about functioning addicts because we had, I had a lot of uncles and aunts who had unfortunately dealt with the battle and, and, you know, still in some cases deal with it. But she talked to us about that so that we wouldn't, we, she wanted us to understand that there was no guarantee that when you try to, you'd be able to be a functioning addict. Um, and especially with our genetics, that plays a huge part in it. If you have a parent who's addicted, a lot of times that means you may genetically be predisposed. So you may not want to go down that road. Um, and, and that's something I think we don't talk about either. For me, that was always something I feared. I didn't dabble in certain things because I knew that there were too many people in my family that it had ruined, that there was a strong chance I would be the next. Um, and, and that's something huge too. Now you went from thinking of uh, trying to, not just thinking, but actually trying to commit the act of suicide to trying to provide a life for yourself and, and dealing drugs on the street. And then you decide that you're going to answer the call. You're going to not be complacent. You're going to rise above and you are going to change your life and you're going to jump into a career. Um, how did you first get started in your career? It's funny. Um, I started out in the healthcare industry. Uh, my first job was working at a hospital as a unit clerk. And then from there, I went on to be an OR scheduling coordinator, and then um, I transcribed oncology orders, went into private practice and was an office manager for um, an internist, and then went on to home health care where I really thrived and was promoted to director of employee and patient services. And I organized the first ever home health care symposium in the state of New Jersey at the time. So I was doing really well. 
but I had uh, married and I was pregnant with my second child and it became very overwhelming. So uh, my husband and I made a conscious decision that I would quit and get a regular nine to five. So I started at Prudential Financial as a, as a temp and um, worked my way up through the ranks and was put into a leadership development program in 2007, I believe it was, and really learned what my talents and gifts were. And during that time, I wrote a proposal as to why the company should focus on women in multicultural markets. And I was passionate about that, having just learned that my great-grandfather was an immigrant from St. Kitts who became a self-made millionaire. He had a music school in Newark, New Jersey that Sarah Vaughan went to. He owned two famous supper clubs that all the jazz greats frequented. He had a mansion in the city of Newark and property all around the state. Yet, by the time my mother was born in 1953, there was little to no evidence of his legacy. So, you know, I felt like it can't be a coincidence that I work for one of the largest financial services companies in the, in the globe with this, knowing this family history that I can't use my gifts and talents to make an impact and change the narrative, not only for my family, but other families and communities of color. And then I dedicated my career to that. Wow. Wow. So now you are creating a new path. Um, or just expanding on your path and probably truly living in your purpose. What is your ultimate mission? How are you going to marry the two? What, what, what do you plan to gain as far as touching lives at this point? You know what? As I grew in my career, I realized that I got the most personal from fulfillment from serving. Because at the end of the day, I built a career on service. And when I started sharing my story and I saw the impact that it had on people, I remember the first time I spoke publicly and keynoted and shared my story it was at a women's luncheon at a church. And there were 200 women there and literally 50 women stood in line when I was finished and waited up to an hour to speak to me. And the first woman said, no one knows this, but I've been contemplating suicide for the last couple of days. And mm -hmm. after hearing you speak, I know that's not what God wants me to do. You know, and I kept hearing stories like that. I, you know, I remember um, this 17-year-old and her mom coming up to me saying, you know, I've been giving my mom a lot of grief because I've been hanging in the street with the wrong crowd. But after hearing you speak, I just made a promise to my mother that I would change my behavior. So when people tell me that, and I know that, it's, that my story is impactful and it helps them to have those, the dialogue and the healing that they need, I feel like it's definitely part of my calling, part of my purpose, which is why I named the book Protected by Purpose, because it's only God's will and grace that can account for what, where and how I've gotten to where I am, and I have an obligation to pay it forward. Wow. So now that you've been in a, in a totally different space for a while, I'm sure, and I know that your calendar is book to capacity, your schedule is very demanding. How do you maintain, what does your daily routine look like? How do you keep that peace? Well, um, my corporate job is very demanding, um, but I'm lucky to work for an organization that allows me to bring my whole self to work. Um, so I'm able to delegate where necessary. Um, I do what I need to do to ensure that I'm still delivering um, 
and performing well. And then I take the time when I'm home to prioritize my family and the work that I'm doing to support the book launch. And I have a very supportive husband and family who chip in when needed. And as well as coworkers who say, you know, Dorinda, you know, we love the work that you're doing. We can step in and help you with this so that you can do that. Um, and it's interesting now that a lot of um, people in the corporate space, not necessarily within my company, but within the corporate space, are calling on me saying, can you come and talk to our employees? Because our employees, you know, go through the same things that you talk about. And now with the opioid crisis and how it's impacting certain firms, you know, we think your story could start with a healing and start people, um, you know, admitting if they have a problem because it actually is impacting uh, the bottom line in the workforce now. And whether it's opioid addiction or depression or, you know, things dealing with mental illness or family dysfunction that has people underperforming or staying out of work, you know, it's something that companies are starting to look at and say, how can we provide relief to our employees? Because at the end of the day, they're people with families and feelings. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the opioid addiction, um, I'm sure you've looked at it and you have thoughts on it. What are some things do you think we can do, especially for those who may know someone addicted or know someone or have a suspicion? How do you think that the best way is to approach that? You have to confront them and let them know that you see that they're suffering from addiction. Um, ask them for help. But the one thing that I know about um, addiction and um, how an addict be behaves um, towards their addiction is they have to want to help themselves. So you can love, you can support, but you can't make someone break that addiction unless they want to do it themselves. And I talk about that in, in the book because there was a point where I had to learn to love my mother from a distance um, because she was draining my peace and my, um, you know, my family happiness. And I ultimately gave her an ultimatum that said, either you clean yourself up or I can't be a part of your life and neither, and you won't be a part of my children's lives. And luckily she chose her love of me and my family over crack. Um, so she was able to beat that, you know, beat that addiction. She died a heroin addict, but she was a functional addict. And um, I'm really proud that in the last two chapters of the book, the tribute that I paid to my mother. And um, hopefully I help, um, you know, children and parents heal by sharing my story. Um, I know that a lot of times children hold a lot of resentment and anger um, towards their parents who are addicted. Yeah. And I, and I think that I was going to ask you about that next. I know a lot of times, and it's, it's the opposite because I have some close people that I know who truly come from your point and they get it and they understand. And I too, it took me a long time to become an, to get to where I am now and say, you know what? No one as a child says, I want to be a drug addict. That's no one's dream. You know, and when I look at it from that perspective and realize that, and, and it took me growing up and realizing how life difficult life can be and realizing that it's just not, a, it's not black and white, it's gray. And I think that 
a lot of times, especially as a child, because as a child, it's more, it's most difficult because your parents are your heroes and they can do no wrong. And when they do wrong, it's devastating. So I, I think that for you to be able to constantly humanize, which we tend to forget, especially when you're on the outside looking in and you're just looking at numbers and statistics and saying, well, they're wrong and they shouldn't do that. But when you realize that addicts are humans, they're people, just like you said prior, they have families and it's a chain reaction. And it's our job as a society to truly try to help get a mass healing, not just because of opioids. We've had a a drug problem in the African-American community for a very, very long time. And it has totally shredded our family structure and dynamic. And I think it's important that we try to find ways. I know everybody is not going to be marching or become the number one advocate, but I think it's important to humanize and at least have empathy and and try to find ways to heal our community. What I do want to leave the listeners with is pay attention to the legislation that's coming out to, um, you know, what 45 is doing around opioid addiction. Um, You know, I remember when Hillary was running and I watched the DNC convention and she opened it up, um, focusing an hour of content on the opioid crisis in Maine and how it was affecting the, you know, the residents of Maine, which happened to be mostly white Americans. And I, w- I became severely annoyed by the whole thing mm-hmm. because, you know, when the African-American and Hispanic communities suffered from addiction, all we got was jail and broken families. Mm-hmm. And maybe um, methadone, um, which is no good for our bodies. So, you know, where's our reparations and how are we going to be accounted for in this crisis and making sure that we get equal distribution of any funding, resources, and solutions and some retribution for all of the incarcerations that we've had that broke that's broken up our families. Like, I really need for everyone to stay on top of this and demand that we get our fair share. I agree. And and, I mean, I think, and and this could be, this conversation can go in a whole nother direction now, (laughs) but I agree because let's not forget who introduced crack cocaine and cocaine to the African-American and Latina community. So they're not going to say let's help when they created the problem. Exactly. Um, you know, and I think it's important that it's, it's not a silent conversation. It's not something we just think is the norm. It's not normal. Our communities were not like this even 30 years ago. Well, right at 30 years is when it really pushed through a lot. But you, you're right. We have to pay attention. We cannot just say it's okay. But I think a lot of African, what you're saying now, a lot of us are having this conversation. It didn't become a problem until uh, white America had the issue. You know, and then yeah. it was sophisticated with, oh, it's a, it's a prescription drug problem. You know, it's still painted a pretty picture, uh, which it's not. It, it's still an epidemic. And they're going to have many, many years to come. We're going to see babies who have been, been born addicted. We're going to see a lot more issues coming from this epidemic, um, which is ridiculous. And it's something yeah. that can be fixed. And my, my point is addiction doesn't discriminate. No, so it doesn't. Addictions offered shouldn't be based on your, you know, social economic status, your race, um, ethnicity, or gender, you know. So I just want to make sure that we hold people accountable. This episode has been brought to you by the Brand Launch Society. 
Raise your hand if you're a business owner and you've had a not so easy time trying to find your brand's voice. Well, I got news for you today. The Brand Launch Society has a new coaching program that I think you'll definitely be interested in. The Brand Launch Society is created to help you boost your confidence so that you can attain greater heights in your business. After all, confidence contributes immensely to the performance of every business. Now, they're actually interviewing women right now who are ready to step it up and ready to claim their space because it is your time to have a voice for your business and to make your business stand out. This six-month accelerated coaching program is going to offer you everything you need to know about branding, marketing, content mapping, sales, client attraction, campaign building, and even focus on entrepreneurship. Now, hurry up if you're interested in this because the deadline is April 21st. So head over to mysuitme.com. That's www.mysuitme.com where you'll find out all the information you need to know about joining the Brand Launch Society. And now back to Brunch and Play. Okay, and another thing that you said a few moments ago that I think we've kind of talked about uh, on the show I know before about it being okay to protect your space being okay to love somebody from a distance when you know it's pulling on your psyche. It doesn't make you selfish. That doesn't mean you don't love your loved ones. It just means that you are putting your mental health and your well-being ahead of anyone else's. And it's not selfish. Selfish. It can be difficult, especially with the ones you love. And that's typically when it's the most troublesome and the most hard, uh, hard to do is when it's someone very close to you. Exactly. Um, and what I've learned in my 47 years of life is not everyone is meant to go on your journey. So even, you know, even if it's not the dysfunctional person, it could be someone who loves you to death. Um, so for instance, it could be a grandmother who's saying, girl, you better not quit that nine to five job because you have a dream of being an entrepreneur. They might not understand. So you have to go on that path alone. Um, and surround yourself with people who understand your vision, who can support you. That doesn't mean you won't love grandma, but you can't tell her <laughs> everything that's going on because she then becomes your dream killer um, and allows you to be complacent with where you are versus taking risks and doing something great based on the vision that, that God put in your head. And I'm, I'm a firm believer, if God put the vision in your head, that means he knows that you are capable of achieving it. It's up to you to put in the work to make it happen. Absolutely. So what is your, your, the most inspirational book that you've read? Like what's that thing or that book or even a show um, that literally has lit a fire in you that made you keep pushing? You know, I'm a big fan of Oprah Super Soul Sunday. I, I love that show and just learning from, thought leaders and spiritual leaders and people who overcome mm -hmm. um, and shared their lessons. Um, a book that I really like um, that I encourage everyone to read is Sherry Riley's uh, Exponential Living. She talks about how um, she was spending 100% of her time on 10% of who she was. Mm -hmm. um, and even, yeah, and even though she had monetary success and you know, people thought that she was living this good life, she was miserable. And there's so many of us who do that. We spend so much time on the things that don't give us peace and passion and joy because we're trying to fit to someone else's standard versus living for ourselves and what brings us passion and joy and really um, what's going to help us fulfill our own purpose and destiny. 
Well, I would definitely put that in the show notes, guys, so you can make sure that you check on that. I think it's always important when we're connecting with others to let them fill us up, number one, and to find out what's filling them up. There are so many commonalities. We tend to think that people are unattainable because they're, they're in a certain place in life and something that we might admire them. But a lot of times we forget that pe- we're all human. And there are so many commonalities and so many little nuggets that we could pass on to one another um, if we just ask. So uh, in a spirit of brunch and slaying, Dorinda, what aspect or area of your life are you currently slaying? I am slaying my career. I think I'm slaying my career. That's the aspect that I'm really doing well in. Um, and nurturing my spirituality. Those are the two aspects. Was there a point in your life, or, or, or I guess in your career thus far, that you actually looked around and like, this is, this is exactly what I dreamed it would be. I'm actually here. Or are you still not there yet? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you a funny story. Um, about a year or two ago, I was um, hosting a women's conference at my job. And a colleague came up to me and she said, Dorinda, all of these young women are asking me to introduce you to them. And I said, why am I unapproachable? She said, no. She said, you realize that you're that executive that you, that you used to look up to and aspire to be. You've made it. You're now that person. Oh. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I've been so busy in a grind. I didn't realize that what she was saying was true. And it helped me to change my perspective because now that I am in a position where I've made it, quote unquote, I can go back and lift and mentor and do more to help others along. Um, because for me, the greatest compliment I could have in, in my career as a leader is if I can have someone succeed me or go on to surpass me, uh, particularly women and people of color. So I'm really excited um, about where I am in this journey. And looking forward to where God takes me next with the, you know, launch of my book and what I'm doing in my career. Um, There's no limit. Oh, yeah. And I am watching along on your social media. I am cheering for you. I see you uh, constantly at events and pouring into people and speaking. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. For me, it's always great to see. I love the underdog coming. I, I support the underdog. And when I see them surpass what society said they should do that's like those are the people i'm really cheering for which is probably why i love oprah so much too (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i I mean i get it because i know as a woman of color it's not easy and and it's and, and and i know people hear that but that's our reality it's not easy and for those who get there and they constantly reach back to pull the next i i'm i mean i can't do anything but support you so yeah thank you so much oh you're welcome so you can have brunch with anybody on this earth, dead or alive, this Saturday, who are you brunching with? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, hmm. It would definitely be, Martin Luther King would be on that list hmm. because I would love to, to hear his perspective on what he experienced in his life what he sacrificed in his death and what he thinks about the state that we're in now. Um, So I would love to have that dialogue with him. Um, 
President Obama and Michelle. I would love to to brunch and slay with them. Um, <laughs> they seem like they're a lot of fun. Um, and there's a few corporate executives um, like Jamie Dimon, um, Mark Greer, who's actually with Prudential, who I just think are super smart, who I'd love to just pick their brains. Um, so I could probably think of some more, but off the top of my head, that's... I just want to know, can I come to that brunch? I just want to be a flower. <laughs> That's a pretty good lineup. Like, you know what? Yeah. You're the first person who's actually given me more than one name. And I'm like, I was wondering when somebody was going to finally th- realize it's your brunch. You can have whoever you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty awesome. Well, Dorinda, where can everybody support you? Where can they find you? So um, my website is DorindaWalker.com. I am Dorinda Walker on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and Dorinda J. Walker on Facebook. All right, guys, you heard it. And the book will be out. It is out right now. So make sure you head on over to Amazon. And if you're at the airport, go ahead and stop by Hudson Books and pick up the book and make sure you support this supreme woman of girl power who's giving back to our community, who's shining the light on the taboo things that we are so ashamed of and making it the conversation easy. Uh, Dorinda, I can't thank you enough for making time out of your schedule to share a few moments with me in this Brunch and Slay tribe. You filled me up this morning. I am full of gratitude and I will forever be your cheerleader and support you in any way that I can. Well, thank you. And God bless you. And I'm so appreciative. Oh, no. Thank you. So guys, if you are loving what you're hearing, which I'm sure you are, and you're getting a little bit of this and a little bit of that every Tuesday, I want you to stop what you're doing right now, unless you're driving, and go ahead and scroll down in your iTunes account and give us a review with a five-star rating. If you're on a joy, go ahead and go to Podcast Attic and give us a review. I can't thank you guys enough. I love you all and have a great week. And until next time, I'm Amir. This is Brunch and Play.